Good afternoon. What's up? Howdy. Hello. I just started the process of getting a wall knocked down in my house. That's pretty fun. Yeah, it's cool. It well, it was cool because like I was like, oh, this isn't load bearing because you know I'm an expert on homes. Uh, and then uh, my contractor was like, yeah, it's not load bearing. And then he went to go take it down, and it was load bearing. <laughs> so. Did you find out with half the roof collapse? <laughs> no, luckily he like he just knocked a hole in and saw something that was like a dead giveaway, and I was like, <laughs> "Well, if I started, so it's real life refactoring." <laughs> uh, so a little less banter today. I want to go ahead and jump in. Uh, we're do- joined by Jonathan, and I will throw it over him for a quick introduction. Yeah, hi, it's uh, Jonathan Reinink, and uh, yeah, I. Hmm. How to introduce myself on a Rails podcast? Um, I'm a Laravel developer. I've never written any uh, Ruby, and I've never worked with Rails. I think I installed it on my laptop once. That's as far as I've gotten. But as I was saying to the guys uh, before um, we started this, I feel like I know and am familiar with rails even though i've never worked with it because i've listened to so many podcasts over the years uh for from developers who work with rails every day so i kind of know it from that uh from that side of things and uh yeah i'm primarily a php developer uh i work with laravel the laravel framework which i feel has like a lot of similarities to rails it's kind of a sort of a, a sister framework from a different language and um yeah my uh my main Open source contributions have been um, um, the Tailwind CSS framework. I wrote that originally with uh, Adam Weathen, kind of helped him out on that project early on. And kind of in the last year or so, I've moved on to a new project of mine called Inertia JS, which is uh, it's basically a way to create single page apps. Uh, building them kind of in the more standard classic monolith sort of approach uh, to building web apps. Yeah. Anyone who listens to the show is um, no stranger to a Laravel because for a rails podcast, we actually talk about that more than maybe we should. And then we've (laughs) talked about Tailwind so many times. Um, So uh, I let's actually just jump in. Uh, I'd like to, you know, get into inertia. I think we're all really interested to talk about that. But um, so Tailwind, I would be kind of interested to know uh, how, like, you got involved with that with Adam, like starting off. Yeah. So, um, good question. I it, I I kind of like joke that in a way that I'm the co-author of it because. In a way, I am because me and him spent a lot of time originally uh, working on it and creating it together. But it's really Adam's brainchild. And uh, so what happened, it was probably, about, I think it's going on two years ago now. Um, you know, me and Adam talk all the time and we kind of pair program all the time, just helping each other out with different problems. And I was working on uh, my SaaS application and he was working on a project at the time. And we sort of had a difference of opinions, a uh, difference of opinion about how to style our applications. And I had been doing um, marketing sites and front-end development for many years. I worked at an agency for 10 years doing basically marketing sites. And the approach that I had landed on um, was the BEM-style approach to uh, organizing CSS and, and styling a site. 
And Adam said, hey, John, yeah, I've been doing this other thing. And I basically use all these tiny little utility classes and I kind of patch them all together and then I build up my design in that way. And I basically laughed at him and said, there's no way that that would work. You know, it's, that's going to be way too limiting. You're not going to have, you're going to need like a, a million different utilities to, to actually get anywhere. It's going to make your markup all messy and everything else. But he was pretty adamant that this was a cool approach. Uh, so he, uh, he convinced me um, to give it a try. And at the time I was redesigning my own SaaS app. Um, so I, um, I decided to give it a try. And I think the reason I decided to give it a try is because I was a little bit frustrated kind of with that BEM style approach. So I, I just said, why not? I'll give this a try. And I think it was like within a day, I was like, oh, wow, this is amazing. Um, so we uh, we basically had this really, really rough bunch of files that Adam had written that we were kind of sharing between the two of us for for a few months, kind of as I built my project out. We ended up creating a repo just so that when we both made changes, it would kind of get saved into one spot. And I remember at the time we said to each other, you know, we should really package this up into a framework. And we we basically said to ourselves, like, we're going to do this. And literally, like, if nobody else in the world uses it, it doesn't matter because we've been enjoying working with this so much. We're just going to we're just going to create it for ourselves, which, by the way, I think is always an awesome way to build any sort of software or open source library or anything, always to have kind of this attitude that you're going to build it for yourselves to scratch your own itch. Um, I think is always smart because uh, I think the second you start trying to create something, trying to predict other people's wants and needs, you end up kind of watering down your library and kind of actually taking away uh, sort of some of the interesting pieces that you'd have if you just built it in a super opinionated way that you like. Anyway, um, so we did that. And then uh, we, I, I think we ended up working on it. So that was in and around March or April of, I think, and I'm, the years are getting lost on me. I almost want to say it was 2017. And we worked on it together for six six to eight months, I think. And then we we launched it uh, kind of publicly and fully expecting people to kind of just totally hate it, right? Because it's just this totally different way of building, um, yeah, of building websites and designing websites. And uh, but then to our surprise, it was it became really really popular, and uh, it was kind of slow at first, but uh, now now it's crazy. I it's it's become kind of a taking on a life form of itself. It's pretty neat, and Adam's basically basically working on it full time now, which is super super cool so yeah I, I i did most of my contributions kind of early on kind of me and him building the initial version we oh, the, we had endless discussions about how to name utilities and and just ridiculously long like discussions we'd spend a whole afternoon trying to name one utility like literally and then the next day we'd throw it out and start over so it was it was a fun project and yeah that's uh, that was kind of my involvement in it that's really cool. Uh, being involved in something very early on and then like seeing yourself out is like me and Chris, like every project I always start with Chris and then I'm like, all right, you got this. And Chris just <laughs> takes over and rolls with it. Uh, unlike me though, um, you've actually gone to another very just massive undertaking of an open source project and that's inertia js and we would love to uh kind of hear 
uh, maybe for those who are listening, like what it is and B, how you ended up here. Yeah. Okay. So where to start on this? So I'm going to kind of like back it up a little bit to kind of let you know how it, I even came up with the idea. Um, and uh, I think as Rails developers, you'll be able to connect with this. Um, definitely be able to connect with this. So um, the so Laravel is the same as Rails in that you write you have routes and you have controllers and you have views, right? And Laravel views are blade, uh, blade views. Rails, I guess they're ER, ERB templates. Am I saying that right? Yep. And uh, so you basically build your app that way. All your HTML, all your markup goes in your templates or your views. And that's kind of like the classic server-side monolith approach, right? Um, Laravel early on though, kind of, early on in in really kind of what made the framework was its tight integration with this up and coming JavaScript framework at the time, uh, now well known, and that is Vue.js. And uh, so Taylor, in particular, Taylor and uh, another gentleman by the name of Jeffrey Way, who runs Laircasts, they both really connected with this uh, this this JavaScript framework. So it kind of was like the JavaScript framework that gets installed with Laravel kind of like by default. Um, and the nice thing about Vue is that you can drop it in, like you can create Vue components and you can drop those compu- those components just into your regular server-side rendered uh, templates and they'll, they'll work really nicely. So you don't have to go all in on view. You can literally say, well, I'm going to have my, you know, 95% of my page, uh, rendered server side with blade and Laravel, but then there's going to be these few components within it where you need some interactivity that are view components that, you know, maybe for a dropdown or some sort of form or whatever. So that's the way I was building my websites or my apps, I should say, um, because that's mostly what I've been doing the last number of years. And, and that was fine, but what I found was happening because I'm building web apps and I think this would be different if you were building say public marketing sites or public facing sites, but because I was building web apps, which are made of a lot of forms and a lot of inputs, different inputs and controls and all this sort of stuff, I found myself reaching for view more and more, uh, just to do all kinds of different things, drop downs, forms file uploads, all kinds of stuff. And I started getting frustrated because what I found was half of my application was now in view components and half of my application was in blade templates. And and I really hated the context switching between the two. That was like, so just the fact that the, my, my, my templates were essentially broken up into two different types of uh, languages, you could say, and in two different places, it always was kind of like this this annoying switch back and forth. But that wasn't the only annoying thing. The another annoying thing was you if if you uh, if you've ever experienced this by if you've ever used Vue, you'll know that when the page loads and all those view components uh boot up, you end up with like this flicker, right? Because the server side stuff renders immediately, right? When the the browser spits it out. But all the view components have to like that have that split second where they they get booted up by view, and that split second causes a little flicker, 
And if it's for a little thing like a button or something, it's not a big deal. But kind of the more of these you add to your your site, kind of like the more annoying and distracting this gets, especially when they impact the document flow. So it's one thing if something just pops in after the fact, but if it like pops in and then other things shift around, uh, it's just kind of it's just not a, a visually pleasing thing to have happen, and it really bugs me. I, I hate the flicker. So. I started thinking about how I would solve that. And kind of the one simple solution is to basically cloak your entire website. So what you basically do is instead of, because you can't, because you have to wait for view either way, you, there's this method, there's this thing called cloaking with view where you essentially hide your entire page. And uh, then when view finally runs and those components are uh, initialized, then the cloaking uh, uh, gets basically removed or whatever. And the whole page displays. But now essentially what you've done is you've kind of you've you're the server side rendering is like you're not even getting the benefits of that because you're literally uh, hiding the server side content until views booted up. So and that still doesn't take care of the whole, you know, the two different contexts and the two different types of files, uh, uh, view files. So I started thinking about that. And what I tried to what I ended up doing on some actually what I started noticing is that I more and more of my pages were starting to turn into view components. And, and, and sometimes you have it where you end up just taking the entire page, which started as like a mix of like server side template and, and some view components. And for whatever reason, those components needed to work together. And then it is, you know, one, one component does something and it has to change something on another part of the page. And you end up kind of just saying, okay, I'm going to wrap this up into just one bigger component that has kind of all the content. So what ended up having is I had these templates in Laravel which would literally be nothing in the, the entire template other than just the view, you know, whatever the, the view component was. Um, so I kind of thought to myself, well, this is really odd. I, ha- I have these server-side templates that have a single view component being rendered in it, and that's it. And it kind of really like made me think, well, you know what? Maybe, maybe in these situations, I don't need the view template at all. Like maybe I can just get rid of it Sorry, I got to be careful with my terms here because I'm talking about view, the actual JavaScript framework, and I'm talking about views as in the server-side templates. So uh, when I say when I didn't need the view at all, what I meant is I don't necessarily, I didn't think I needed the, I realized I didn't need the server-side template anymore at all. Um, I could, I could potentially just say right from my controller method instead of uh, defining a server-side blade template, I could just define my component. So basically, I created this little thing, uh, this little thing in Laravel where I could do that. And I basically had one standard component blade template, or you could call it like an ERB template, like just one template that I could pass any component to. So any component name to, and any component props. And it would basically split out that, spit out that uh, view component and um, give it its, its initial props. And it would display the, the view component without me having to create any server-side uh, template for that particular page. Is that making sense so far? Oh, yeah. Um, this is really interesting to me because, uh, I don't know, it was a while back when I was playing with Vue and I went through the same exact process of like, okay, I'll use Vue for like one form or something that's complicated and I'll use my you know server-side templates for everything else. And yeah, um, Rails makes it a little bit more uh, 
it's a little interesting because Rails comes with Turbo Links by default, which you know has uh, basically intercepts all your link clicks and then caches the page right before it leaves the page. Yep. So anyone who was using Vue with Turbo Links ended up like it would cache the uh, HTML that Vue rendered, which wouldn't actually be able to be remounted next time yep. you came back. And I ended up building a view turbo links library that just hooks into view and says, Hey, before we leave the page, let's just tear down view and replace it with the original HTML. So that next time you come back here, it can mount again. And that emphasizes the flicker a whole lot, you know? Yep. Yep. And, and that was certainly the same thing of like, okay, well now I have a view like this form and it literally just renders like, one view template or one view component and passes in like the object as props. And now I don't need anything else, you know, server side. So yeah, I, I went through that whole thing. It's kind of funny. And the only solution for that Turbolinks thing was like, you know, you could kind of cheat if you were, um, if you were very deliberate where you would say here, let's put an ID on the page for this uh, new form and as long as our parent view component had the same id in it then turbo links could like remount it ah, but interesting. yeah and it like it works and it helps a little bit but you still end up with a situation of like well it rendered the cached version of it then the whole thing just kind of flickers away and gets reset with the newly mounted version yeah. of it so it was a little bit better, but you know, not great. So inertia has been like really interesting for me because I'm like, man, I really need to start moving um, stuff over to that. Because yeah, it was like a, I don't know, it's just a frustrating experience if you're trying to, you don't necessarily want to go the full single page app route, uh, but at the same time, like you have to, you have to if you do do that, you have to duplicate all your routes and everything. So I think inertia is like extremely interesting. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So let, let me, so th- this is interesting. So one on my, my own personal solo SaaS business that I run that basically that's my primary source of revenue. One of my dependencies on that project is view to Tur- turbo links. I literally use your <laughs> library that's and awesome. that's because yes. Yeah, so and, and turbo links plays an important role kind of in all this. So I'll continue along the story here and kind of, and I'll show you how that, that plays into this whole process because I often tell, I don't think I say it anymore on the website, although it wouldn't surprise me if it's somewhere, but like inertia was very turbo links inspired and I've been using turbo links for years. So, so I kind of had these, so, and I did, and I did use it that way. So my, my, my applications that have like these, this mix of server side render templates and this mix of client side uh, components, these view components, I also use TurboLinks to get that SPA feel, um, but I had the exact same problem with you know the whole issue with the way TurboLinks really not agreeing with Vue all that much. So I I use your um, your library and that sort of I would call it like a bit of a stopgap, but it's definitely not a perfect solution um, because yep. um, essentially what you're doing is you're not reloading the page, but you're still going out of your way to destroy view the the view instance every single time which is like really not like the most efficient way of handling things yeah like so, 
yeah. it works, but it's not, it's just like, okay, this is the easiest thing you can get um, to make it compatible, but it's not like yeah. a smooth experience in any sort of fashion. Exactly. So, <clears throat> so I created that, um, I created basically that server, that server side template that would load my, my single view component and pass in the props. And I wrote a whole blog post about this and about how, you know what, just throw away, throw away your server side render templates, assuming you don't need like SEO and all that stuff, right? That's kind of like the underlying, I should just say right away, like inertia is a client side rendered template. Like it works for client side rendered views, right? So if, if SEO is important to you, then inertia is not the, not likely the solution for you. Okay. But, uh, so I said, if you want to build your applications using Vue or using a JavaScript framework, which I personally do. Not that, like I have a love, I really, really love server-side render templates for all the simplicity and wonderful, uh, just how easy they are. I love that. But I also just from having built a piece of software now for my own piece of software and other pieces of software for um, uh, a decade now, um, my own piece of software, I've really just come to the point that I want to. I want JavaScript. I just do, and I and I love Vue.js. I've worked with React. I like React as well, but personally, I think I, I prefer Vue.js just because I love the templates. The templates just work well for my own mental model, and I just really like being able to to build a page and then add in functionality whenever I need. And what I was having is I would I'd be like, okay, I want to add some new piece of functionality to my app, right? And I would go and look, and you know that particular page would be a a blade template. And I'd be like, Oh, nuts. I'm like, now I want to just do the simple thing that I know would take me literally two seconds in view. And, and now it's this big, annoying, complicated thing. I got to make the decision like, okay, do I want to just try to like drop in a view component here and make a new view component? Just the fact that I'd have to make a new, like just create a new file drove me nuts. Like I just want to do a simple thing or I'd have to say, okay, well, do I just want to like take this whole blade template and convert it entirely right away to to a view component, but that would be that would take time, right? Um, not that like, and, and that's what I did a lot of the times. Um, but it was just it, it just made simple changes more difficult. The second I needed any little bit of like functionalities, any sort of like client side interactivity, um, I was faced with these annoying questions like, oh, do I how do I handle this? So going all in on Vue.js page components was just like so free. And it's like, okay, now everything's just a Vue component. It's like, yeah, I'm now dealing with like, okay, all those, all this JavaScript needs to be shipped to the, to the browser. Um, and, and, you know, there's a cost to that. But for me, it, it, it was worth that cost. Um, so I, I did that, put a whole blog post out about it. And at the end of that blog post, I even said, oh, and by the way, you can kind of make, you can actually enable uh, uh, SPA mode here by installing Turbo Links. Uh, be aware there's this gotcha, be aware there's that gotcha, and you kind of, you know, that whole, the whole thing we just spoke about. So then I was thinking one day, and I said, uh, I was actually talking to, again, Adam Weathen, and I said to him, you know, I feel like I'm all the way to this point. I'm like, I almost feel like, I need to create what I called that day. Um, I think I called it like Turbo View. That was my little joking uh, beta name for this project. Turbo View, which is basically Turbo Links, but optimized for View. And the thinking, my thinking at that time was instead of making on, so on the subsequent page requests, 
um, instead of returning a full HTML response like you would do with turbo links and then having turbo links parse out the body and everything else, right? Uh, instead of doing that, I, I said, well, what if instead of that, when you made that subsequent page visit, you make it as an Ajax visit, just like TurboLinks does. But on the client, I mean, on the sorry, on the server side, what if it was smart? And instead of returning the full HTML back, what if it only returned two things? One, the name of the new view page component that you're going to be visiting. And two, any props that are required for that page just and return all that just as 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 json and then client side the way that quote unquote turbo view could work is it could say um it would just say okay well here's a new page name page component name and here's the new props i'm just going to swap it out so uh, a key thing to mention here is frameworks like vue.js and react and svelte they all have this concept of um I forget what the exact name of it is, but it's basically the idea of dynamic components, meaning you can literally just take an existing view instance and dynamically swap out whatever the component is rendered at that time and provide new props. So that's kind of like that's kind of like the the key piece to all of inertia: the fact that all these server side uh, frameworks support dynamic uh, dynamic uh, components. Okay, so I'm like, I bet I can do that. That actually, what I didn't realize at the time that was like, I was wondering like, can I do that? And what I realized really, really quickly, like within, I think an hour of suggesting that to Adam, I had a working prototype. And what I realized then is that wasn't the hard part of this whole project. The hard part of this whole project was handling all the client side, um, basically the client side routing. Now inertia doesn't do client side routing, but it kind of does. And we can get more into that. But anyway, so, um, so that worked, and I was like, "Man, this this is awesome!" I could I removed TurboLinks entirely. I added this really simple, basically, anytime you clicked a link on the page, it would intercept that link, and it would say, "Okay, you're looking to go to uh, slash about." Hit the slash about page on the server, so it actually makes an an XHR request there. Their server says, and then when it makes that XHR request, this is like the secret the the secret sauce to this. It passes through an X inertia header, basically just a header that says X inertia true. It's just an identifier to say, this is an inertia request. The server sees that. And instead of returning the full HTML response back, it just says, well, I know that all you're looking for is the page component name and the, the JSON that's required. And what's cool is within the actual controller, it's not like you're saying, well, if this is an inertia request, return this. And if it's like a regular HTML request, return this. It's it. You, there's basically an abstraction over it that handles that automatically for you. So in your controller, you basically just say, okay, return the page component name and return the data, the props, and inertia and 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 kind of the the server side and the client side inertia libraries sort of figure out how to how to handle all that. Um, yeah. So that was kind of the day inertia was born and I was like, this is awesome. And what's like, so the really, really cool thing here is, is that you don't have to destroy your current client side view or, or react instance. It it stays alive, um, which comes with all sorts of other interesting SPA advantages. Um, 
And it was really like, it, it was really neat because kind of at first I'm like, this is awesome. But then kind of over the next like six months to a year, I kind of started using this and exploring, like you kind of don't know at first with new technology, sort of how far you can go with it and kind of like what's all possible. But then like, as I messed around with it more and more, I kind of learned new tricks and different things that were possible with it. Like for instance, at first, inertia only worked on get requests. So only when you made get requests, it didn't work at all with, with post requests or, or put or patch or, or delete or whatever. And then I realized once and I'm like, because in my mind it was like turbo links and turbo links only does get requests. And I'm like, I'm not even going to try to figure that out. But when, then I realized I was out for a walk one day. I'm like, you know what? This would totally work. It's like, if you submit a form and do a post, you can literally just submit that as an inertia request, as a post request, makes the XHR request to the server. The server, again, just does whatever it's going to do. So maybe it's going to create something, right? And then it's going to do something. It's going to return some validation errors. Um, or it's going to say success and it's going to say redirect somewhere. So maybe you're creating a user and you're on the create user page and it successfully creates a user and then it redirects you back to say the user index page. And this was like my brain like exploded when I realized how this would work. Because what happens is from your form, you submit that request, that inertia request. So you submit the form, it goes, it creates the user and then server side, it does a redirect um, to another page wherever in the app, just like a, really just like a, a normal classic monolith server side rendered app would make a, a redirect after, right? So it makes a redirect back to wherever you want to redirect to. But then when it hits that endpoint, that X inertia header is actually, it's transferred during the redirect. So when it hits whatever page, so you end up back, so the XHR request is made and you end up back on the index page for your users, it says, well, this is still an inertia request. So instead of returning HTML, it actually returns the the JSON version of it. So it gives you the page component name and it gives you the props. And then and then client side, it, it comes back and it says, oh, the, the page components changed and the props have changed. So it swaps that out. So you go from being on the create page to now to be on the edit page. And then um, it also updates the URL and that's kind of the whole client side routing thing. But it, it updates the URL based on whatever it happened to end up on on the client side, so or on the server side. So if it ended up back on the on the user page or on the user index page, well then it returns. I should say when the, the the JSON response that comes back from the server, it includes the page component name, and it includes the page uh, data or the sort of the the props, right? It also includes whatever the current URL is. So that's how Inertia knows what to update client side like the 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 push state it knows based on that so this was this is really kind of how inertia uh came to be and uh, that to me was such a, a neat discovery because what it meant is i can really build an app just like i would really with like classic rails or classic laravel where i just have different endpoints and i redirect between them i don't have to go out of my way to like package up I don't have to go out of my way to 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 um, send an XHR request to create a user and then like get the JSON back from that and like manually inspect the response that came back in that JSON payload and and then figure out what to do from there like inertia just handles it all automatically oh, you guys track really cool yeah <laughs> um, 
Yeah, because see, it's interesting. Like Rails uh, came with TurboLinks, and like it also did only get requests, and still to this day. Um, but it sounds like in May they're releasing like a newer version that will handle things like forms. Because um, it's really funny that what they did with TurboLinks is like the Rails integration when you hit the server with a TurboLinks request, um, it will replace the, like a redirect instead of just doing a browser redirect, it returns JavaScript that says, hey, just tell TurboLinks to go to this URL and it handles those um, like that. But they have zero support for form submissions, which means that like you can't really handle the entire application like that. And that was one of the problems that um, they tried to build mobile adapters so you could embed your website in your mobile app. But those adapters were built um, to disable form submits um, because that would require you to like re-download all your CSS and JavaScript in the middle of your mobile app, which would be really strange and slow. And they never had a solution for that, which I always found kind of strange. But like, even without all that, the this makes it really, really nice to just be able to say, in a way, you're like, we don't need to build a special API to have our view app, get some JSON back and handle all this stuff. We just have it say, hey, render this component, just like we're normally used to. And it just works, which is really cool. So like, kind of simplifies, you know, building a, it's not, I don't know what you call it, but it's not like, a full single page app and it's not it's like a hybrid between the two it's interesting yeah yeah and uh, it, it definitely is a hybrid between the two but i would say that it feels way way more like a classic rails or laravel app so even though it is a hybrid um it feels very very much like what you've been used to building which is i think one of the reasons it's become so popular um because i think a lot of server-side you know, developers, people who haven't done a ton of work with with um, APIs or, or full classic SPAs, they basically start using inertia and it's kind of just works like kind of the way they would be used to just kind of really, really quickly. They can get up and running. And, yeah, I, would and say I like, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, like, I think, uh, you know, having been someone who's mostly server side for quite some time um it just ends up that you're like, you get frustrated at a point because you can't add some, you know, complex functionality on the front end that you know you need to do. And then you're like, well, if I reach for view and view TurboLinks, then the UI starts to get clunky. And then the more we use that, the more clunky everything gets. And it just, you know, it, you end up going down the rabbit hole. And then if you go the single page app route, it's a whole different rabbit hole. And it's, and it's not, it's just not as good as, you know, people love to make it out to be. So I love this uh, approach because it's almost as, um, it's almost as server side focused as you could make it without, you know, giving up view or something. Yeah. And I, people like, I always say like, I don't necessarily pitch inertia as the alternative. Like, I guess it is an alternative uh, to building. It definitely is an alternative to building a, um, Sorry, I shouldn't say that I don't pitch it as an alternative because I do pitch it as exactly that. What I meant to say is I don't 
pitch it as the only way to build things. I don't think inertia is the only way you can build apps nowadays. And I don't think it's the only, I don't think that now that I created this, you shouldn't ever create a classic SPA that has uh, a, a, you know, a full API or a, uh, like a GraphQL API and all the client side state management stuff and offline mode and all that sort of stuff. I'm not saying like, I think those apps absolutely have their place, especially when you need an API anyway, uh, say for, for native apps or, or, or whatever. So I still think that those, I, I still think that whole architectural pattern has its place. But what I was really targeting with inertia was all the people who had already made the decision to build a server-side rendered application, who'd already accepted the fact that they weren't going to build an API anyway, that they were totally okay with not building an API, except you know they, they, they wanted the SPA experience still, right? So I think people think, well, um, well, if you, if you use inertia, you now don't have an API. And if you don't have an API, well, now if you want to build mobile, you know, iOS and Android apps, you're euchred. And I'm saying, no, it's like you had already made that decision if you were planning on building it as a classic Rails or a classic Laravel app anyway. So what it does is it just like, it really, really just totally lowers the barrier to entry to building these kind of apps, like a, an SPA feeling app, web app, it makes it so much more approachable than before um, because before, and I, I kind of explained this in the docs and I explained it on, uh, when I've talked about it in my blog post on Twitter and whatnot. Before it's like, okay, I have a server-side rendered app that has a bunch of view components, but I'm like, I really want like the SPA experience. And if you go and ask on, on Reddit or on Stack Overflow or wherever, like, well, how do I, you know, how do I make this an SPA? The answer immediately is you need to build an API you need to separate your server side, your server side, um, or your back end from your front end entirely. You know, go host your uh, your back end on Heroku and put your your front end app on Netlify or something. Like it's just this massive paradigm shift. Which, again, like that that whole architectural pattern is not wrong in and of itself. It has its place, of course. But it's like if I just have a a simple web app, and I just want to make it more like a, a, an SPA and have that rich client side feel um, to be told you got to completely rethink your entire ar- architecture is <laughs> it's a real bummer. Um, and that's where I think inertia is just such a cool in-between solution. Uh, I've kind of joked that it's, it's kind of like a, an, uh, a, a, bit, a bit of a gateway drug to building SPAs. It's definitely really cool. Uh, one question I have about it since you're doing a lot like with the server still authentication can still happen on the server, right? You don't need any kind of hoops to jump through. I guess with that, you could do like session based auth. Is that right? Absolutely. I love session based auth. It's the simplest way of handling auth ever, especially since it's like baked into Laravel and I'm assuming rails kind of just, it's part of the framework. So getting session auth up and running just, like literally just works with inertia. It's just, you don't need to do anything. You don't need to think about JWT tokens. You don't need to think about OAuth and you don't think, got to think about all that crap. It basically just works. So like if we take my example that I was talking about earlier, right? So imagine we're on like the create user page and you submit that form, which would, if it, if it was successful, it would go and redirect back to the user page, right? 
but let's imagine you submit that form and you, you know, your session expired, right? So you're essentially logged out. What's going to happen is you're going to submit that form using inertia. So it'd be like inertia.post and it's going to go to your server, that request. And the server is going to, it's going to hit the middleware and do the auth authentication. And it's going to say, oh no, this user's not logged out anymore. But it's not going to like die there and give you uh, whatever the uh, the unauthenticated error, error code is. It's actually going to, like, like you would expect with a regular server-side rendered application, which would do a redirect to show you the login page, it, it does that. Except it does it it does that redirect in the inertia XHR request. So it's going to hit the the post endpoint to create the user. It's going to hit the middleware, realize it's not authenticated anymore. The user needs to log back in. It's going to redirect to the login page. And then the client side is going to say, hey, I got to show the login page component now. And it'll literally, it feels exactly like a classic server-side rendered app in that sense. Suddenly you'll be like, oh, I got logged out. I guess I have to log back in. And it even like remembers like intended URLs and all that stuff. So if it like logs you out because you you know you, you try to go to an endpoint in your app and you're not logged in, it'll redirect you back to your to your login page. You'll log in, and then when you log in, it'll go to whatever your intended URL is. At least that's how it works in uh, Laravel. Just it just works. I suspect it probably does the same in in uh, in Rails. Yeah, I was just thinking how how that would work with device. Uh, I would think it would just function the same, wouldn't you, Chris? Yeah, I think so. Because it, I think it stores that um, URL that you were previously going to, you know, and you can store it in a cookie or whatever. Um, but yeah, it. Sh- I would imagine it would work. Um, and if not, it would be very easy to go b- add that back in. Yeah, we're not blessed with a one true authentication package in rails oh, really a, yeah you, everyone uses like the same package for the most part it's called devise and it's uh it was made pl- by platform attack and uh which no longer works with it but everyone uses it and it just like scaffolds out all for you but it's not part of rails like that's one thing <clears throat> excuse me chris and i always talk about is like the the lowest like thing when we look at Laravel, like we're jealous of, it's like, oh, authentication and users are just built in. Yeah, it and it really it works awesome. So it like it just it just means you can like I spin up like little mini Laravel sites all the time just because to test and it takes so little effort. You basically do a Laravel new. Uh, I use Postgres, so I do the old create DB, give it a name. So now I have a Postgres database. Uh, update my environment variables to just post, you know, to to set that 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 uh, database configuration. Uh, run the migrations, and I have a functioning app basically. So it's uh, it's pretty sweet. So um, there's one other piece that I'm kind of realizing that I didn't really mention, kind of that was part of this whole journey, which I think is an interesting thing to to mention. So the one thing that I was doing, kind of as I was initially creating those. Um, before inertia and as I was creating those full view page components and just doing full, I was using turbo links to go from one page to the next. Um, that was actually working. Okay. Like it wasn't terrible. Um, it just, yeah, like using cloaking, I could make it look pretty good. But the one thing that actually pushed me 
to use to, to come up with the, the inertia idea was, um, um, oh, shoot, what's the, the name of it is, uh, sorry, brain fart here. Go to my clients. Oh, code splitting. That's what I'm thinking. So what I realized is kind of when I started doing that, I, was, I, I realized that I would have a much, much larger client side JavaScript bundle, right? Because that's that's really the trade-off. You say, okay, I'm going to build everything in Vue or I'm going to build everything in React. That's amazing because you get all the power of those those wonderful frameworks. But now it's like you now need to deliver those those assets to your users. So I thought, well, this is before the inertia idea even hit me. I'm like, well, if I'm using turbo links and going from one page to the next, I'm like, let me try it out. Let me just enable code splitting. So in Laravel, we have this, uh, I guess it would be similar to, we ha- yeah, we have this abstraction over Webpack, which is called Laravel Mix. Um, and Laravel Mix makes it really, really easy to take all your 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 CSS and your JavaScript and package it all up and kind of create a uh, minified uh production ready bundle, right? I think it would be so I do you, is it called webpacker maybe in Rails? Yep. Yeah, yep. we we just got that recently. Yep. Sweet. Okay, so we we have the same idea in uh in Laravel. It's super super handy cuz you basically don't think about your webpack file anymore. It kind of is just this really light abstraction layer. And I only I only mention that cuz uh Laravel Mix has the option like just built in it, it supports code splitting. So if you're using um so the way, yeah, I won't get into the too many of the details of how code splitting works, but basically it works by using dynamic imports. So the import sy- syntax, by like you give it a dynamic page component name, and then um, when Webpack runs and whenever all that hoopla that gets run, <laughs> I don't know all the stuff that gets run, Babel's involved in different things. So when that all gets run, Basically, what happens is it, it creates all your different page components and even any like utility files, any sort of JavaScript assets, right? It creates them not as one big bundle, but what it does is it creates a separate file for every single page. And, and then it has like one main file for like whatever the initial index is that you're landing on, right? So, or, or for like your vendor files. So what happens is in kind of a typical web app, you'll have like one bigger file that's going to include Vue or React, maybe some vendor libraries, but even the vendor libraries can be split out. It kind of includes whatever the minimal amount of JavaScript is required to kind of get that first page load to up and running. And then every other single page is its own file. And what happens then is the way it bundles it all up um, Webpack kind of just takes care of this automatically for you. When you go and visit another page in the application, it automatically says, okay, I need this page component. That means I need to load this other JavaScript file. So that was like really, really what I wanted to have because I didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't like the idea that, well, I, I can only use this whole approach until my JavaScript bottle no gets too big and then I'm just like practically not going to be able to use this anymore because I can't possibly ask someone to download a two megabyte file or whatever just to load my app. Um, and But what I, ex- what I experienced was with TurboLinks that it actually worked. So when I went to a new page, um, it would work. So TurboLinks would reload the next page. But the problem was TurboLinks would... It would have that initial JavaScript file that was loaded, so the base one. But then when it went to load the new page and it displayed the 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 HTML, you know, it swapped it out, put the new HTML in, and in the root of that, obviously, it would have that page component, right? 
then Webpack would figure out, well, actually, I need this other JavaScript file in order to even load this page. So what would happen is it would load the new page, and then it would wait there for a second while, while the browser downloaded the JavaScript file required for that page, and then it would display it. Is, are you guys tracking with me on that? It's yeah, a bit yeah. confusing. So, yeah. and, and I'm like, um, so it worked, meaning I could use code splitting, but it was just an awful experience for the user because they would go to a new page it would sit there for a second like so that flicker got like 10 times worse right because it would sit there for a second load that file parse that file display the page component and and then i i thought to myself well like how do regular spas handle this and the way that regular spas handle this is the loading of whatever that page component bundle that javascript file whatever, you know, the loading of that new JavaScript file that's required for the next page, it's like included in the loading state of even the next page. So so imagine in a regular SPA, you click to go to a new page. Uh, Client-side routing would take in, it would happen. And what would happen is it's going to go off and load the bundle. It's going to go off and load. Code splitting is going to figure out, okay, well, we need this other JavaScript file. It's going to load. It. It's going to show you some nice loading indicator. And then you're going to land there and it's going to say, and then that page is going to load and it's gonna say, oh, we need data from the API. We'll go off and get that. So you end up with almost like a, a two-step loading process, one where it gets the, the JavaScript files. And then the second one where it actually goes and gets the data from the API, or maybe it makes numerous requests to the API. And obviously, it only does that one time. Like once you have that component, it's it's cache and it's available in the browser. It's not going to re-download it every time. But um, so that, but it, it's a nice experience on an SPA because you don't lose the whole page. It's not like you click and the whole page disappears and you're sitting there with nothing there while things load and then it all shows up again. In an SPA, you click, it shows a loading indicator, you keep looking at whatever page you're on right now and then when it's ready, then it jumps you to the next page. So that's why that works nice in an SPA. But in my situation using Turbolinks, it was a really bad experience. So when I switched this, came up with, you know, kind of came up with this whole like, well, how really the, the thing that mattered was keeping that view instance alive because by keeping the and not doing a full page reload and not rebooting all the HTML and all, I mean, rebooting all the, the JavaScript. So what would happen is like when I switched to inertia, when you click on a link and it goes and makes an inertia request to uh, the server and it says, okay, I got to I got to now it comes back and says, okay, well, we're on this page now. Here's the page name and here's the page props and it swaps them out. It doesn't like hide everything. It literally says, "Oh, I need I need to go and get this JavaScript asset." It loads the JavaScript asset, you, you know, and which is normally quick, right? Because they're the, each page is its own file, so they, that's pretty fast. And then it, and then it already this is the nice thing that's even nicer than an SPA. It doesn't then need to go off and make a separate request to the API to get whatever data because it already has the data because it already got it back from the server. So you basically click makes the, the request to the server, comes back, knows what JavaScript file needs to load, loads that file displays the component and that all happens very fast and it all happens without any flickers or anything because nothing's being destroyed it's just waiting until it's ready and then showing it so that was like uh the, the whole code splitting thing was like a super super key piece of all this which i still think is like one of the neatest things about inertia is that it just works with code splitting like right away out of the gate that is really cool um I don't think I've set up code splitting in, in Webpacker and Rails yet. So that'll be an interesting one to try out. Cause I, yeah, I, you know, you like want to make it as fast as possible on the first page view. 
And if you're downloading two megabytes of JavaScript, then yeah, it's going to be slow on mobile for sure. So that solves that solves that in a really kind of elegant way because it's like, here's what you need to get the view um, instance booted up and whatever you're looking at, the first page view. But yep. you don't need any of the other stuff with that just yet. So that's cool. Do you have to use, like, I and I see in here in your docs, like, the inertia links. Do you have to use that for yes. stuff to work? Yes. Yes, you do. So that was a decision. That's a good question. So that was a decision. I, I, I guess technically you don't have to. So, but I had to make, I had to make a decision early on. My original prototype of inertia basically did what TurboLinks does. Anytime you click a link, it basically intercepts a link tries to make an educated decision about whether or not it should uh, follow that link like a normal link click or to prevent default and handle it using an XHR request, right? So I'm like, that was kind of like my gut. That's what I wanted to do at first. But there's a lot of annoying edge cases with that, that I was worried that I would like not know if, and and I'll give you a real simple example. Like if it's like an inertia, I'm in a, a Turbolinks app. If you click to view a PDF, well, you don't want Turbolinks to follow that as an XHR request, right? Um, so you have to like put some sort of like flag on that link to say, you know, TurboLinks disabled on this link, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I I decided early on, largely because I looked at the other popular routing libraries out there, like React and, and View Router, and they didn't take the pro the they didn't take the blacklist approach; they took the whitelist approach which I, I hummed and hawed and decided that I think that's the better way to do it. Now, there's... Um, so yeah, so to answer your question, if you want to create an SPA mode uh, link within your application, you have to drop in what's called an inertia link. An inertia link is literally just a wrapper around an A, like a regular anchor link. Um, that's all it is, and it just intercepts the click or, or the visit and does it using XHR instead of doing a full page reload. Um, in addition to that, like TurboLinks has like TurboLinks.visit, you can do the same thing with Inertia. So if you want to make like programmatic like visits, you can do that as well, which you find, I find that you do end up doing that once in a while. So technically, if you really, really like the TurboLinks behavior, you could add a global event listener on all your anchor links and just intercept those and uh, call um, Inertia.visit. But uh, yeah, I... I've, I'm actually really happy with that decision, the decision to use inertia links. It, it worked out. It's worked out great. And it's actually kind of neat because it's allowed some other interesting things. So it, um, I'll give you one real quick example. And I could probably, I don't know how long you guys want to go. I could talk forever about this stuff, but this is, let me just finish this. Uh, so one, one cool thing, like one thing that uh, Laravel does is to log out. I don't know how it works in, in Rails, but when you log out of your application, in in Laravel, you actually have to log out using a post request. And the reason, the, the short reason why basically is to force um, CSFR or C, whatever that is, um, token v verification so that uh, nobody can um, log you out of your own website somehow um, using some sort of um, cross-site yeah. cross scripting or anything like that, right? Right. So, yeah. so the way you log out and the way kind of Laravel comes built stock with kind of their default auth scaffolding, and they actually have like for the logout link, 
It's not an actual link. It's a tiny little form that's a post that makes a, a action is um, uh, uh, method is post. And when you click on that, it basically intercepts that and, and it logs you out kind of just using um, a post form submission, which is kind of, you end up with, it's, it's kind of this dirty little piece of code because you have like this form jammed in like to like a drop down menu or something, right? But with inertia, with inertia, you can, it's way nicer. Like, and I actually have an example of this on the links page on in the inertia docs. And you can say inertia link, uh, href equals slash logout method equals post. So you can literally define methods right on your inertia link. So if you want to make a post request or a put request or whatever, you can do that right on your link, uh, which is really, really cool actually. And the reason it can do that is because it's making an X, an XHR request behind the scenes, which allows that, right? So yeah, that's interesting. Cause we in rails kind of take that stuff for granted because we have this, um, there's a little JavaScript library called Rails UJS, and it's unobtrusive JavaScript. So we can basically add like a method delete to our sign out links, and it will submit a delete request. And ah. tag. there's yep. you know already the CSRF token, and so it can yep. it can do that um, just kind of built into Rails, and that's like how forms get submitted with AJAX, and you don't have to write anything except for like a server-side JavaScript response and stuff. But it's really cool to basically create that exact same functionality in Inertia because you know you wouldn't necessarily need the Rails UJS stuff at all to, to do this. And it makes sense because you're already in view, right? Like yeah, you totally. Don't another thing there. So that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. It also reminded me of like, you were talking earlier about forms um, and the redirect and stuff. How are you handling like the errors that need yes. to be back. This is, I think this is one of my favorite parts of the whole, the whole thing. Um, because forms are like, I, you know, I joke that like most modern web applications are like 95% forms, right? Like at least the applications that I've built in my right. career, it's just one form after the next. It's just, this is my life. I build forms, which is this, fine. This is like what made me reach for view um, over anything else uh, originally. Cause it was like, well, I got to build this nasty form that like is probably a good candidate for like a wizard, but then selecting the right page when there's an error and all those things were just like, just complicated. So having, having, you know, a front end library that can do a lot of that makes perfect sense for complex forms. So, yeah, man, I, I love building forms in Vue. I think that's that's probably the thing I enjoy using Vue for the most. And that's because like the way V model works under the hood, the way all the reactivity stuff works, I am just I'm so so fast. You know, I sometimes get frustrated with kind of all the the JavaScript hate out there and don't get me wrong, <laughs> I can I can I can hate on JavaScript just as well as the next person, but I think sometimes we uh, we we take for granted how amazing some libraries like Vue and React are at, at doing some of this stuff. And and forms in Vue are just, they're, they're magical. They just work so, so nice. So I'll kind of, I'll kind of walk you through what a, how I handle forms in my applications, in my inertia applications. So you go to a page, right? And it's got a, it's got a form on it somewhere. And uh, I build it just kind of like you would with Vue normally. And I do, a, I have a, an, a submit event listener on the form. 
that uh, does a, a prevent default, right? So it doesn't do a full page reload like a normal uh, HTML form would. And then I submit it. And what I do is in the submit um, handler, I basically just, I just do inertia dot post or put or whatever it is, right? Uh, inertia dot post. I give it the endpoint that I want to post to. So slash users to create a user or whatever, right? And then I just say, I give it this dot, the data. So whatever the form data is. So I'll often like uh, wrap up all my data into like a, a form object in view, just so I can say in my, in that actual um, chunk of code, I can just say this dot form, which is all the, all the uh, data that you want to submit down, right? So it's, again, there's an example on this under inertiajs.com slash forms. Um, and it's real, really simple and easy to understand. So what happens though, so that's like, that's like pretty straightforward. It's just like you would do with a normal view form, except if you were to submit it using XHR. So inertia.post is basically uh, a way of ma- making an, an Ajax request to an endpoint with some data. Okay. But what happens is, as I've said before, like when you hit that create user endpoint and the validation passes, it's going to redirect off somewhere and it's going to return a successful uh, 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 page, maybe your user index page, right? But the tricky thing is, what do you do when validation fails? And this is this is the cool piece. So what happens in Laravel, just, and I would imagine it would be the exact same thing in Rails, when you submit a form to an endpoint and your validation fails, Laravel automatically redirects you back to the page that you're on. So imagine you're on the create user page. You submit a you submit your your po- your form to the create user endpoint. The create user endpoint does some validation. That validation fails. It automatically redirects you back to the create user form that page with the errors available to you. Now, normally, if you're building a classic server-side application with no inertia involved at all, and you do this, you're going to hit submit. It's going to go make a a post request to that endpoint and redirect back, and all your data is going to be gone from your form, right? So then you got to go through this process of repopulating that data. Is this this making sense to you guys? Yeah, and and in Rails, it does work a little bit different because we will um, be on like project slash new and you'll submit and then the create action will submit to like slash projects and that will actually return HTML in that response, um, which will be rendering the new page over again um, Uh, instead of a redirect. Um, So that is, that is interesting. Okay, so this this is a little bit different than that. So and Laravel works a little bit different, but but essentially what what you end up with, I'll just talk kind of the way I work, and I would imagine you'd be able to work the exact same way in Rails, is when it when that validation fails server side and it redirects back to the page that you're on, and it provides the errors. What you can do in the way I build my inertia apps is what happens is, I set a um, there's kind of this, you could, so you normally pass page props right in the controller method, right? So you say, okay, well, this is the user page and here's all the data, the props for that page, right? But you can also assign what are called, uh, it's called global props or like shared data that's accessible to all your page components. So what happens is when that validation fails and it redirects back to the page you're on, it passes the errors, an error bag basically of all the errors. And what I do is in my app, in, in kind of like a, a middleware sort of layer, is I actually automatically take the errors 
that are in the session and I, I pass them as shared props or shared data to inertia. So if you think about this, what happens is you literally end up back on the same page, which means that you're on the create user page still. And the whole entire component doesn't reload, right? Because you're, you're on the same page. So it doesn't swap out the component. But what it now has, because it has that new prop, which is the errors, and if you, if you, if you kind of know the way view and react work, anytime the props for a component change, it's reactive, right? So it'll automatically react. That component will re-render based on whatever new props it received. So this page, so the create user form, maybe you left the, the first name out or the name out. It's going to, you're going to submit it down. It's going to redirect. It's going to pass you the errors back to the same page that you're on. And those are going to come through as props. And then within your actual template, you say, if um, errors.user or whatever, you basically do a check, a conditional to see if there's a, an error for the, sorry, for the um, the name form and, and the email form and whatever forms you have, uh, inputs you have. You basically do a check and if there's an error, it displays it. So what happens is you submit it, they come back, you do nothing. You literally don't have to do any work and your errors automatically display just like that. Just because that prop, that error prop was not populated when you first loaded the form, right? Because there was no errors. But now when you submitted it, it redirected back and it provided those props. Now the page updates and you can do whatever you want. You can show a message at the very, the top, very top of the page. You can add an error label to your inputs. You can show a, a, uh, the error message below the inputs, whatever you want. And it's all just reactive. It all just works. And the other really key piece of this is it doesn't, there's, you basically say, um, uh, you can tell inertia to not re-render the entire page component which means that all your form inputs are like all exactly as they were. So it's not like they all reset to being empty or if you're on the edit page, reset to being whatever it was initially when you visited that page. You're able to keep that local page component state exactly as it was by telling Inertia not to basically just hammer it and completely do a, a full reload. So that's like super, super, it's, it's, I find it's a bit of a difficult thing to explain kind of uh, in this format, but if you try it out, it works, it works really nice. And the end result is you don't have like a submit method in your view component that says inertia.post to the users in the form. And then you do, uh, and then you do a then call on it to, um, to catch whatever the response is and say, well, if there's errors, do this. And if there's, if it was success, do that. You don't have to do any of that. You literally just say inertia.post and that's it. And the rest of it just kind of happens automatically. If there, if if it's a success, it does a redirect elsewhere. If it's a failure, it literally just reloads the exact same page you're on and with the error props. And when I say reload, like the actual, there is no, the, the request was made, but it's not like it's rebooting view or reloading that page component. It's It doesn't have to because... When View says, "Well, it's the same page component," it, it knows not to, 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 to replace it. Uh, that's cool. Sense? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Because um, yeah, in, in Rails, you would you would have your like if it was successful, redirect, and if it wasn't successful, we like render the new page again. And just because we're in that request, we can keep all those 
those variables um, or, or the you know data that you submitted and re-render it right in the form again. Yep. So it's kind of yep. the exact same approach, just using JavaScript, which is really nice because then you're not doing like, uh, you know, if there are errors, then we need to go like add those to the page and whatever. It's kind of just here you submitted it. There's errors now. It will re-render the exact same template with errors and that's yeah. it. And to be clear, correct me if I'm wrong, but with this approach, like with the inertia approach, we're using the view form, uh, a view like page component. Like when you do this, it's not only your data that's preserved, it's any other state that you have going on. For instance, you might have like, you might be scrolled, like you might have like a scroll container somewhere on that page, or maybe you have tabs, or maybe you have some sort of other thing going on on that, on that page. And all of that stuff is preserved as well, which I would imagine, like even even if you have like a certain input focused, it maintains that. Which uh, I'm assuming yeah. wouldn't. No, like, of all, course not. All, yeah. yeah, all of that stuff all gets preserved, which is such a nice user experience. Oh, uh, that's slick. Because yeah, that is that's the like frustrating part if you're building a wizard where it's like you're on you know the last page of that you click submit and then the whole thing kind of refreshes. And you're back to page one, and then there are errors, and then I got to click through all the tabs to figure out where the errors are. Like you're gonna preserve the state, which is really nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is there like a? Uh, well, I guess like it's gonna re-render, so you could use that callback to you know select the first page with the first error on it or something. Um, if you wanted to like move the user to like, hey, this field was uh, left empty or something in your wizard. Uh, but that would just kind of be like regular view um, yes. code in that yes. place. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Like I guess you, there's different ways you could build a wizard. Like you could build a wizard where each step of the process is actually its own endpoint and page component. That's like kind of one way of doing it. Uh, probably the way I would do it is I'd probably build it as like a single page, a single view page component, but then pass through like a page num or a step like key. So like step one or step two, or, you know, maybe if they're named or whatever, and then, um, and then that would automatically just be preserved. So you wouldn't have to like, you really wouldn't have to do any work there. That would just kind of just automatically just work for you. That's cool. I love it. Um, Jason, you have any, any more questions? I know we've been on for over an hour, so. No, I think that about answers all of them. Um, Really, really appreciate you taking the time to sit down with us. And um, there's also, if you're curious, there's, it's been mentioned, but there's a Rails adapter for Inertia. Uh, that's a Ruby gem. You can just go add to your Rails app and get started with it. Yeah, I played with it just the other day, like two days ago, and it was pretty easy to get set up and everything. So I just need to go through and, you know, build some forms and actually feel it out. Um, but, you know, it's like really easy to set up and it, it is, um, you know, is kind of awesome feeling um, as it sounds just because it's like, well, now you get view, but you don't have to deal with any of the weirdness that like turbo links or anything else that might cause for it. So that's awesome. Yeah. So I, I so, yeah, there's some uh, a few gentlemen that have been helping me with the Rails gem. I really feel like I know the Laravel one well because that's what I work with every day. And um, I kind of feel like I got to learn a bit more about Rails to, to kind of like make sure that it's the same 
sort of uh, developer experience that I'm experiencing in Laravel, which is that's the that's really the challenge for me with this library because I'm being forced to learn lots of different languages and frameworks to kind of make this all work because uh, there's three different client side frameworks or uh, adapters, right, for Vue and React and Svelte. But then there's a, a Rails adapter and a Laravel adapter, and people are creating r- adapters for other things. There's, there's a Cold Fusion adapter someone made. There is a Django adapter. Like, and this is what's really cool about Inertia is like you can literally. It's not like just for one framework. It's like totally framework agnostic in that sense. At least, definitely server side framework agnostic. You can use it really with any server side. Uh, framework, any web server side framework. There's no reason why you couldn't. So, yeah. Yeah, it's um, just you need the glue code in between to to make that talk the same protocol, and then you're you're good to go. Yeah, that know. that'll be the big challenge of like you know all the little nuances of the internals of how like we talked about like Rails form errors being rendered versus yes. Laravel and Django and all those. Th- those are I'm sure a little bit tedious to do, but yeah, yeah. The, as long as you find someone who knows the framework pretty well, I bet it it's not as bad. And it sounds like people are contributing these, you know, for fun. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah, I'd be curious if you guys were to try it to see how the handles the the error stuff in Rails. Because I honestly, I honestly, I probably should know, but I honestly don't. I should probably just, I should probably just go through the battle of getting it all set up one day and just kind of feel. See what it feels like. Um, yeah. Oh, one yeah. quick thing. One quick other feature I'd love to mention before before we wrap up is asset versioning. So one like really big challenge you run into with SPAs um, is because the user isn't reloading the window, a user could be like have the assets that originally loaded. So all the JavaScript files or the CSS files or whatever, they could run into a situation where like they may have had their, the app open for two weeks and you may have deployed new assets uh, twenty times, but they're still they're still on the old JavaScript assets. And this is like a non-issue with a classic server-side rendered app where it does full page reloads. Because a lot of times you'll use like cache busting, some sort of like uh, some sort of uh, URL uh, um, like a hash or something on the mm-hmm. assets to force them to reload. Right. So it's not an issue there. It's not an issue with TurboLinks either, right? Because TurboLinks will handle that automatically. But for SPAs, this is a nightmare. Um, and and if you go looking around when you're building like a classic um, view SPA and try to figure out how people are handling this, they're using like web workers, I think they're called. People are doing like all sorts of different crazy things to try to figure out, are the assets out of date? Do we need to refresh the assets and kind of handle this whole thing? But the really cool thing with Inertia is because like there's this like really neat harmony between the the server side adapters and the client side adapters, because it's all built by me or who's ever helping me with this. There's like some really neat opportunities that happen because of that, that we can do things that you wouldn't necessarily normally be able to do otherwise. And asset versioning is one of these things. So what happens is when you configure your app, um, kind of like in your, like, um, your, your base, you know, middleware, your kind of your base app configuration, you can say to inertia what version of your app, what what version your assets are currently at. And that doesn't have to be like the version can be anything. It could be a number. It could be for me, I just use a hash of my of my asset. So um, every time the, um, the page loads the first time, inertia knows, or anytime any request happens, inertia just says, okay, it's the hash of whatever my my assets are. So if my assets ever change, the hash will change and I know that I gotta make a change. But the problem is when you make an inertia request and 
the assets change, you're still stuck with this problem. Like, okay, I know that the assets have changed, but what do I do about it? And really what you want to do is you want to force a full page reload, right? So, but that's kind of, that's kind of a tricky thing because imagine um, you're submitting a form and like you're um, and yeah. you, and it figures that out like and 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 then de- detects that the assets are out of date. Um, you know what is it going to do? So um, the way inertia works is what happens is every part of kind of like the protocol, which includes the component name, which we talked about, the props and the URL. There was actually a fourth one that I didn't mention, which is the version. So the client always has the whatever the current version response was, whatever the, the latest version that came from the latest request back from the server, right? And then what happens is if you make a, a request to any any inertia request, what happens is it passes that whatever it thinks is the current version. And then in the inertia middleware, inertia automatically compares what the version is client side to what it is server side. And if it changes, it does, it basically just halts the request right there and returns. I think it's a, I get it wrong every time, but it's like a, uh, some sort of like 409 or some sort of, you know, invalid uh, response. And then inertia detects that response and automatically does a full page visit to whatever endpoint you were trying to hit. So you basically, what happens is like users are using your app, you deploy a new thing, Heroku deploys, whatever. The new assets are now live. A user goes and clicks another page in your app, makes an inertia request. It detects that the assets are out of date, automatically stops that request, does a full page load to that request, and then just carries on like it back in SPA mode all automatically for you. You literally don't have to think about this problem at all with Inertia. All you have to do is tell it the version and Inertia takes care of the rest automatically for you. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. Um, And that handles like a form submission that was, uh, that hit a different version? Yes, it does. And that's because there's this idea in Inertia of, uh, I forget the actual feature name, but it's it's uh, yeah. There's basically a way to to remember the state of that form in your in the um, and basically the the history state. So it automatically will, oh. will remember. Yeah. So okay, that was like, that makes sense. That was yeah. That was kind of like the the really tricky piece. I'm like, how am I going to do this? Yeah. It, it it'll even remember like if you do something and uh, and it has to go and redirect elsewhere. It'll even remember like. Um, like if you do like flash messages and stuff like that, so the the inertia middleware, at least in Laravel, it'll automatically reflash like errors or like messages or whatever, so that if it does that extra, it's basically doing an extra full extra request, right? Well, it's not a full extra request. The first one's cut short, so it literally doesn't even get into your application. It just says can't go any farther. The assets are out of date. It reflashes the any session variables and then just keeps going. Oh wow, that's cool. So I guess the the push state stuff can take some extra metadata that you can use just to store that stuff in then? You can put whatever you want into push state, which is really handy as well. I use that for different things. Yes. You can put whatever you want. I didn't in. Know. There is, yeah. You got you to gotta be a little bit careful because the browsers do have like a limit on how much data you can put in there. But typically it's, it's not an issue at all 
So and we also use that. So here's the other thing. And I, whatever, we should probably wrap up because I can go on forever about this. But the other thing that happens is every time you make an inertia page request and you're, you know, you're browsing through your app, when you hit back, it keeps a cache version of whatever all the, the page component, the URL, and the props of the previous pages. So you hit back and it automatically just restores all those exactly as they were previously without it making a request again. And that's exactly how it does it because it doesn't keep track of all the HTML like you normally would with 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 the push state stuff. It literally just keeps track of the page component name and the props. And I just, I basically re, I just swap it out like it was a regular page visit, except it's a history, history navigation visit instead. Oh, that's pretty creative. I like it. Um, yeah, you got me wanting to, to fiddle with inertia as soon as I can. So I'm cool. sure we'll be, we'll be chatting about some, some Rails stuff and see if I can help, uh, you know, improve docs or whatever for Rails. Um, yeah. Wherever I can. So cool. Yeah. Well, thanks for, thanks for being on. Um, where can people find you? And, inertia. uh, yeah. So inertia is inertiajs.com. Uh, you will you will spell inertia wrong the first time you type it. It's impossible not to. I don't think I've met anybody else anybody who hasn't misspelled it the first time. That is, uh, it, it's unless it, you're it, a physicist. Yeah, yeah, it's it can't <laughs> be done. It's hilarious. I see it all over the place. Uh, that's the one downside of that name. But yeah, inertiajs.com. Yeah, for the library, and uh, then you can find. I do like I'm on Twitter. That's kind of my my main place that I get involved in social media. So it's uh, twitter.com slash my last name, Reinink, R-E-I-N-I-N-K. Cool. Great. Yeah, and we'll have links to all that in the show notes. Awesome. Well, Jonathan, thanks again. Um, hopefully we'll all be chatting again soon. Cool. My pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for being on. Talk to you uh, next week, Jason. All right, we'll see you.